As we're continuing in our series, um, Treasure, and I don't know if you've been around for the last couple of weeks, we've really been taking a look, um, really, at Ephesians 3, chapter 8, or chapter 3, verse 8, says this, As though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. And I don't know, um, but I feel like a lot of times we, we, we don't know what those treasures are, so we don't get excited about them. We don't know what those treasures are, and we're also afraid to ask, especially if you've been around for a long time. We don't know what that, that actually means. So when we talk about the grace of God, typically we run to forgiveness. We're like, I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven. Yes, that is very true. And in fact, it was the first jewel of the treasure box we talked about two weeks ago. But more than just being forgiven, knowing that Christ has covered us has given us so much. And it causes a thanksgiving when you really get these things. Last week, if you didn't get to listen to Christopher share about acceptance before God and that this is something given to us by Christ, it's a game changer. When we understand we are accepted here because of what Christ has done, this when I'm not accepted here, the world's not over. Like, and I know for so many of you, you struggle with this acceptance so much and it defines you. And if there's conflict or if there's no one, people don't like you or whatever, your world is over. But to know that the acceptance that I was made for has been made possible through Christ, game changer, treasure, endless treasures available to us. And this morning, we're going to be talking about God's presence. And I know for some of us, it's so cliche and it's so rote and it's so like, yeah, I've been hearing this, but man, oh man. If we were to be the people who don't visit God's presence on a Sunday morning or visit his presence when we do our quiet time or visit his presence when we meet across the table with another Christian, but we live in his presence. Game changer, treasure, knowing that what he has done is not something I go and visit, but I live in it. The presence of God. Uh, uh, last year, my, I was driving over um, to the 240 bridge towards Patton Avenue, and my truck broke down. And I've told this story before, but my, as my truck broke down rolling across the bridge, I ended up in a pretty dangerous spot. If you've driven over that bridge, you know where the Earth Fair turning lane is uh, right there. My truck broke down in that lane, and it stopped right where you turn right into that Earth Fair. And so, if you know anything about Asheville drivers, they're horrible. Um, so they come flying off of this bridge, expecting to be able to take this turn at 70 miles an hour. Like that's what they do. They try and, and, and so my truck is broken down right in that spot. I've got the door open. I'm just trying to push the truck as best as I can by myself, mind you. This dude who was clearly going to Earth Fair because I could tell he was driving a Subaru and the way he smelled and dressed, I could tell where he was going flies up right next to me and I'm pushing the car as best as I can. He looks out his window, rolls it down and I'm like, cool, he's gonna say, can I help you? And no, he actually goes, you're gonna get somebody killed parking there. 
I was like, I didn't park here. I broke down here, man. Like, you're going to get somebody killed. And I was like, thank you. Like, that's all I said. I, all I could say was thank you um, to this completely ridiculous statement. Later, he, he zooms by me and he goes to, you know, he goes to Earth Fair because um, that's what he did. I know it. I know for a fact he went to Earth Fair. Uh, I, I'm, I'm trying not to be judgmental, but, you know, Jesus, thank you for covering me for that. Um, but as this is happening, there are a couple of dudes who jump out of their car and then they start pushing my truck with me. I didn't need this guy's warning that I was going to get people killed. I needed his help. I needed him. Okay. It would not have helped me in the moment if I had gotten a text message from someone going, you can push your car. It would not have helped me if I had FaceTimed somebody in the moment and they were like, dude, you got to get your car out of the way. It would not have helped me if someone liked the fact that my truck broke down on Facebook. It would not have helped me at all. What I needed was people helping me present in the moment to push that truck with me. And they did. Thankfully, there were people who were like, oh, we can see he's clearly in a jam. They got out of their car and they were with me. I know that there is a popular view that the scripture only gives us lists of things to do and not do. But the truth of the matter is, is from Genesis to Revelation, scripture is the story of who is with us. And I know that some of you have a broken lens in which you look at the scripture through and maybe you were taught that it's God's list of what to do and what not to do. But it is the story of a God who said, yes, I made you to be with you. Yes, you said no to that. And yes, you have run. And yes, you have chased other things. But it's not going to stop my plan. And I'm going to make a way even when you don't want the way that I've made. The end game picture is God with his people. In creation, the scriptures describe God walking in the cool of the garden, walking with his people. And even after the fall, God finds ways in all of his holiness and our brokenness to show up and meet with people. He meets with Noah. He meets with Abraham. He meets with Jacob. He meets with Hagar by a well. He meets with Gideon hiding in a wine press. This God who created did not say, hands off, I'm stepping back. He created and said, I want to be hands on. I want to be in the mess. I want to be in the thick of my people's lives. Later, he makes his presence known in an ark. He puts his presence in a box to journey with people because he's like, look, I have to be among you in this way. If it's another way, you're not going to survive. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to limit myself and put myself in this, this presence in this box. Things happen when his presence goes with Israel. Things don't happen when he stays put. Things go badly for Israel when they forget about his presence. Things go good. When they remember his presence. Later it moves from a tent to a temple. And it was known that if you wanted to go and visit God's presence, it wasn't just about sacrifice. It was you want to go to his presence, you go to this temple and visit with him. But in the New Testament, the game has changed. God doesn't send for himself someone in his place. He comes and shows up puts on flesh, the son of God, putting on flesh to walk 
among his people. And what does he do with those people? He doesn't live in some cave far away. He doesn't make them climb a mountain to come to him. Do you know what he does? He goes to them and he puts his hands on the people. And we're not talking about the people who have it all together, the wealthy, the rich, the, 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 the healed. He puts his hands on sick people. Like, please don't tell me that God is like, I need to throw him truth bombs from my Subaru while I'm going to Earth Fair. I didn't need that in life, and God knew that. God isn't throwing us good news bombs from a Subaru as he drives by us in our moment of need. He's actually getting out of the car, stepping over and going, I see what you need. I need you, you need me to be with you. It's very different when you see through the lens that God has said, I want to be with my people. Later, Jesus says in John 14, he says this, he says, I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because he isn't, it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. It doesn't get much closer than in. We have a father in heaven who said, I want to be with you and I'm going to make it possible. In 1 John chapter three, John says it this way. Those who obey God's commandments remain in. Doesn't say they visit, does it? Doesn't say they come and show up for a few moments and then they go back to doing what they're doing. It says they remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in his people. And then you get to the grand finale in Revelation, Revelation 21, where John's like just taken aback by what he's seeing, going, God is among his people. Like, and he comes down to be among his people. Even in the final picture we have of him, it's not him going, come on, see what you can do. See if you can get here. If you can get here, you can get to me, then we'll hang out. At the end picture is him going, everything being restored and brought back under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Everything, sin and death being destroyed. Every tear from every eye is close enough to be wiped away by the finger of God. This is our God. And he's done what it takes for us to be with him. But do we remember that? Do we only visit places we were meant to live? One commentator put it this way. What Adam and Eve lost in the Garden of Eden when they sinned was the presence of God. Even more than possessing the law, the distinguishing feature of Israel was God's presence with them. The temple was not primarily a place of sacrifice, but a place of God's presence the exile was such a disaster for the people of God because they were away from God's presence. For Israel, for the church, the presence of God is not a side note. It's actually everything. It's not some little detail that we meditate upon every once in a while. But it is actually growing in knowing and believing and walking as people who know that he's with us.
He has not let us go. We cannot visit him when we choose, but he goes with us. Exodus 33 is a fascinating account of Moses' life with a rebellious people. If you've ever read through Exodus, you understand that it is the Exodus. It's an exiting of Israel from slavery uh, to Egypt, and God does this miraculous rescue. He provides grace. He chooses Israel. And I don't know if you know why he chose Israel, but the Bible says that he chose Israel because he loves them. Like, that's it. Like, he didn't say you're the strongest, you're the smartest, you're the fastest, you're the most intelligent, you're the most, most moral people on the earth. I love you. I love you. And I'm gonna walk with you. And I'm gonna rescue you. And so he does through his miraculous ways and the plagues and the sparing of the Israelites. And they actually leave just as God said they would. And then in Exodus 32, you have this scene building to Exodus 33. God's actually given the first set of stone tablets to Moses and the people, because God, God and Moses are taking such a long time, the people actually say to Aaron, dude, would you make us some gods that we can follow through the desert? Now, you have to slow down and think about that phrase for just a moment. Would you make us some gods that we can bow down to? And follow. Would you make, are you hearing what they said? Would you make me a God that I can bow down? You make it, I'll bow down to it. The foolishness in that statement, but the way we live, would prove that the statement's more true than we'd like to believe. But the people say, Aaron, would you please make us a God that we can follow? And they melt down all their gold, and the Bible says that they brought this golden calf out. People freak out. They get super excited. And Aaron saw how excited the people were that they now had a golden calf. Friends, just because people are excited by something does not mean you need to do it. Mob rule is not how things work. They begin to make offerings to this thing. They start feasting. They get drunk. And it says they get into every pagan and sensual desire. And I love Exodus 32, 7 so much that I have to read it with you. The Lord told Moses... Okay, so the Lord is telling Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. I love how this whole time the Lord's been like, these are my people. Now when they're dancing around in nakedness and revelry and craziness, he's like, your people, Moses. We do this with our kids when they're acting out, don't we? We're like, that's your kid. That is your child. And so we have this moment. Like, this is hilarious that God would say this to Moses. It's a terrible situation for them to be in. But the fact that the timing of the matter is, your people, Moses, you better go step and get with your people. The Lord tells Moses he better back up because he's going to wipe everyone out. And he's going to start again with Moses. Like, what would you do in that moment? Like, to hear the Lord go, back up, I'm going to start anew with you. Would you be like, yes. Or, or, would you do as Moses does? Moses actually knows the covenant God has made with the people of Israel. And he says, you rescued them out of Egypt. So you know what Egypt's going to say, right? Like, you rescued them to take them out into the wilderness, to destroy them? What's up with that? Why not just let them stay in Egypt? 
Also, God, you remember that covenant that you, the promises you made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, like, that you would bring the people out, you would give them a promised land? Like, you're gonna do that. It's your name that's on the line, God, not mine. That's always a really good thing to say to God. It is. Your name is on the line. You need to show yourself faithful. You are the one who made these promises. So God actually um, backs off. Moses is known as the interceder, the mediator for his people. A um, couple other things happen. Tablets get smashed. People throw out excuses. Sin leads to consequences. Moses goes back up the mountain to seek forgiveness from the Lord. And the Lord says these things. He says, I'm not going to destroy these people, but I'm not going with you. Because here's the problem, Moses. If I go with you and I go with these people, their attitudes are awful and I might just wipe them out. So I'm going to be better off staying here and you go. I'm going to send something in my stead. And Moses, and they set up the tent of meeting, and Moses goes in this place and speaks to the Lord as a friend here. And so we find ourselves in Exodus 33. Verse 12 says, one day Moses said to the Lord, I love that. Like if that doesn't speak relationship, if that doesn't just speak volumes to who our God is, like one day Moses just says to the Lord, Lord, you have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me who you will send with me. This is a big deal. Moses is like, who's going with? Because I can't do this by myself. You haven't told me all that. That hasn't been straightened out. And I need to know these answers. He says, this you have told me. I know you by name. Have you ever just stopped right there? And just thought about that statement? Like that Moses would be able to say to the Lord, you've told me. That you know my name. This is not Facebook knowledge. This is not acquaintance knowledge. To suggest this is to suggest intimacy and nearness. Like you know my name. And I know we live in a day and an age that says we're connected, but we are the most disconnected generation that we could possibly be. Social media has given us this false sense of connection in a way we think we're connected, but we don't sit across the table from anyone who knows us. What they know of us is our social media accounts. But the fact that Moses would start this conversation with is, you know what you have told me? You know my name. And I look favorably on you. Verse 13, if it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. If the Lord, the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. This rest is not, you'll be able to sleep at night. This rest is all those things you're worried about in my presence will cease to exist. All those things that you are journeying with, that you're scared of, that you're anxious by, you're, you're worried about, all of those things, the rest that you're looking for is found in my presence. His presence equals our rest. 
you're not sleeping, if you're wrestling, if you're always worried, you're always thinking about the unknown, you're always out, God's saying, look, my presence allows you to rest. Will you just be still and know that I am God? Just do it. Be still and know that I am God. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. Your presence is the difference maker in my life and in the life of the people you have placed me in the midst of. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked for I look favorably on you and I know you by name. He repeats it. That's just icing. Like he says it twice. He doesn't just say it once, he says it again. And then at verse 18, Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face for no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, look, stand near me on this rock and my glorious presence passes by. I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. Lord, I can't even begin to describe that moment or hope that it's communicated in all its power by my words. Lord, it is your presence that has to make these things come to life. Holy Spirit, please breathe in this space that we might know your presence, that we might long for it in the way Moses did, that we might long for it as your people, not just on an individual basis, and that, Lord, the cry of our heart would be, show us your glory. Fully aware of all that that might mean for our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Moses expresses more than a visit to God's presence. He wants to live in it. Those of you that know this Exodus story, you, Moses saw the, the burning bush. Like, he had that moment. Like, I saw it. Like, it's crazy. He saw all the things God did to have the people of Israel leave Egypt. The plagues, the death angel, the blood over the doorpost, not being touched, spared by God. He got to walk across the Red Sea on dry land while his enemies were destroyed and miracle, a miracle upon miracle upon miracle. This isn't stuff you just want to visit. This is where you want to live. Like, um, we went over to some friend's house last night and they have an amazing tree house. Chris, I'm talking to you here. My kids want to live in your tree house. They don't want to visit this place anymore. They want to live in it. Like, it marked them that much. Like, you all have that vacation spot that you go to and you're like, oh, man, we just want to live here. You do. You all know where you would go right now and you would sell everything and you would go and live there. Why is that? You have your reasons. 
Moses is saying, I don't want to visit the presence of God. I want to live in it. I don't want to leave it. Like, I just want to stay here. I'm tired of vacationing to the Lord. I want to move and take up residency with him. I don't want to go by myself. I don't want to go it alone. I'm done with this. I've seen your power. I'm living in it. No more of this visiting stuff. I'm done being a tourist. I want to get my driver's license. I want to get my power bill here. I want to get my, for, my mail forwarded here. I'm done. That's what we're saying together. Moses makes three requests. And if you're our note taker or whatever, you can write them down. Firstly, he says, let me know your ways. This isn't just about knowing what God thinks about certain things. This isn't just about saying, God, teach me all of your commands. This is Moses saying, wherever you're going, I'm going with you. Show me how you're going to get there. Show me where you're going. I want to be right there. I'm doing it with you. Teach me all of those things. The desire of our heart, his presence, the desire of our heart. Moses says, teach me your ways. Why does he say that? So that he can understand him more fully. Some of you don't understand God's ways because you've never said, God, show them to me. Show me your ways. Like what if you woke up in the morning and you started saying, God, show me your ways today. There are a lot of people out there willing to tell you how to do things. There are a lot of people willing to tell you how to get where you need to go, but they aren't his ways. What if you were to wake up in the morning and go, God, please just show me your ways. I've seen you faithful all these times. Would you just continue to teach me what does it look like to go where you're going, to love and to give and to be sacrificial as you do? Show me your ways, because I'm done with my own. This is a request for God himself. I want you, Lord. That's what he's declaring. It's the desire of our heart. His presence is the desire of our heart. How do I live this gift of life that you are the author of? Why not ask the author of life to know how to live it? He's pretty smart. He knows what he's doing. And I know there are times we look around And we think, well, if I just knew myself better, I would know how to respond in things. If I just filled out the Enneagram better, or if I just filled out this Marvel superhero Facebook quiz better, I would know myself better. But I love that Moses' first request is not, Lord, tell me more about me. It's, Lord, show me your ways. Because I know me. I know what I'm capable of. But if you'd show me your ways... Secondly, he says, you must go with us. He doesn't just say me. And I know that this is very hard in an American individualistic society that idolizes and worships my individualism. This was a communal journey. It was Moses going, if you don't go with us, Me and your people, we are in trouble. Now, Moses could have gone, I'm so glad you know my name and you're going to go with me. Go ahead and wipe them out. Friends, that's how we actually walk when we don't care well for each other. 
Do you realize that when we don't care for each other the way God intended his church to care for one another, that's what we're saying. God, you know my name, you look favorably on me, let him go. It's really hard. I know this, it's very difficult. But I also know that when Moses said, Lord, please, you gotta go with us. That's speaking to his church. The future, the New Testament, is a people who go together. I know for many of us, the gatherings become a point where we're like, that power is amazing. Like, God is really showing up. He's moving. And then we want to walk out that door going, I got mine. I'm good. I'm gone. The truth is, we walk out these doors by his presence, and we are pushed into the lives of each other. His presence pushes us into the lives of others. You know how I know? Jesus. Jesus is how I know that's true. He walked in relationship with his father and did he go hide in a hole and sit behind a computer and comment on everybody's things? No. In fact, he went and was around the dirtiest of the dirty, the hardest of the hard, the most difficult, the most gross, the most dark, the most, he just walked in. was like, I'm here, I'm with you. And then you know what he did when he called the disciples? When he called all the disciples out, he did not give them luxury jets. In fact, the very next thing that happens is they go back down the mountain into a crowd of people who were probably a mess. The presence of God pushes us to be with others. And if for some reason you're buying the lie that you have nothing to offer or no one has anything to offer you, I can tell you that an isolated thought, this isolationism, this idea of I've got this on my own, it is not from the Lord. Can I just tell you that? Can I just say to you, if you're walking going, I don't have anything to offer and no one has anything to offer me, that is a lie from the pit of hell. God made us to need one another so that we might get a more accurate reflection of the gospel. And if you're walking alone, you're in very dangerous ground. You will start to believe every lie and every wind and every philosophy because we actually guard each other in the truth. He cannot separate himself from the people. And I know this is difficult, but it's the way we were made to live You must go with us. Lastly, he says, show me your glory. His presence is the difference in our lives. It just is. Do you know all that Israel did in the Old Testament was live before the Lord? That's what they did. They just lived before the Lord. And it set them apart among the nations. Do you know what the church is called to do? Live before the Lord. And it is his difference. He is the difference in our lives. It's interesting that in, verse 32, in chapter 32 of Exodus, God actually tells all the people who have all that gold on and they've been partying and worshiping the golden calf, he tells them to lay down all the gold and they're not allowed to wear it anymore as they journey. They laid their prosperity down. Prosperity is not evidence of God's presence. I need you to understand that this idea that somehow, if God is with me, I will have all the riches in the world. That is a man-made lie. 
The truth is, not our prosperity sets us apart. His presence sets us apart from the world. And he asks and he tells the people of Israel, you lay down your prosperity. And they were like, absolutely, because we don't want to lose the presence. We will lay it all down because we know you'll go with us. As Moses said in verse 16, he says, your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. This is, you know, as we sing those songs, take my gold but give me Jesus. I take it. Because I don't want to trade it for his presence. I've heard it said that prayer is being preoccupied with what I need. Praise is being preoccupied with what I have. Worship is being preoccupied with God. Many times in prayer, I'm focused on what I need. Many times in praise, I'm thankful for what I have. Worship is being preoccupied with God. And that's what we see in Moses. We see a man who says, your presence matters to me more than anything else on the earth. You this morning, you may have seen his miracles, but have you seen him? You this morning, you may have seen a church service, but have you seen him? You, you might have been kind to someone or given something one time, but have you seen him? It's when we see him that we truly say, I'm done. You know, there's times I've had this thought in life that in eternity, when we actually get to lay eyes on God, it's no longer by faith, but by sight we see him. I'm going to probably say, I had access to that this whole time. Doggone it. I would have done things so differently. That's where we're at. His presence with us. That separates us from all the people on the earth. Now, whether or not you know, Moses' requests have been answered for us in Christ. Let me know your ways. John 14, 6. Jesus is that way. Do you want to know what he looks like? Do you know, want to know where he's going? You have to look at Jesus. You must go with us. That's a good thing because his name is Emmanuel. Matthew 1.23 says he is God with us. Matthew 28.20, he says, I am with you until the end of the age. Beginning of the gospel of Matthew, the end of the gospel of Matthew. You know why we needed two reminders? Because we forget 1 Corinthians says, don't you realize that your body is the temple? And I know we're reading this as individuals, but it's spoken to the church. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You don't belong to the world. That's us. That's us. Show us your glory, Lord. John chapter 1. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. You want to see it? It's right there. Jesus is that answer. As we close this morning, Moses' desire and our desire really is the same. 
and it has been met in Christ. Now, you all knew that after running 41.2 miles, I was going to talk about it. <clears throat> but an interesting uh, conversation piece. As I was training, I was reading a lot of different uh, how not to kill yourself training for an ultra guides. And one of those things talked about a, a, a pacer when you run a long distance. And so um, I wanted you to see a pacer wanted image that a runner posted for, uh, she was gonna be running a hundred miler. This is what she posted. For hazardous journey, no wages, bitter cold, maybe extreme heat or bone soaking downpours, long hours of complete darkness, constant whining, safe return, your responsibility, runner will enjoy honor and recognition in case of success. Now, I need to tell you what a pacer is. A pacer is someone who is not registered for the race. A pacer is someone who accompanies a racer to provide motivation. A pacer is someone who assists in keeping a racer's goal pace. And a pacer, in rare circumstances, mules the racer's gear. Do you know what that means? You carry everything that the runner might be running, uh, that might have as gear for the race. You're not registered for the race. You get nothing. No award, no tag. You can say, I paced somebody. That's what you get to say. Now, there's one thing she says in her blog that you do not ask a runner. You do not ask a runner on an ultra, how are you feeling? You can just assume that everything is terrible. They feel awful. Everything is broken. Here's what you do. You bring the encouragement. That last downhill, you killed it. That last hill, you just nailed that hill. Keep it up. That last 10 miles you just did, that section, you killed it. Keep going. Now, I need you to also hear what one of these bloggers said about a pacer. A pacer has to be willing to give the shirt off of their back. A pacer has to be skilled with vomit. She says that she returned a pacer's hat once with, sorry, I think I got vomit on it, and the woman didn't even blink. She says you also have to be able to carry on an interesting one-sided conversation. When you don't have anything extra to say, you just have to be able to talk. You also need to be thick-skinned because when the runner tells the pacer, please stop talking, You don't take it personally, but you know they're with you. Sounds a lot to me like Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43 says these words, but now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, what says, don't be afraid for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, it does not say if, please understand. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, 
your Savior. The pacer's key responsibility is to keep the runner safe. That's what a pacer does. The presence of the Lord is not just for me to walk out counting my blessing. The presence of the Lord is actually the strength I need to be present among suffering people. To be present with those who are walking through the thick of it, through the heart of it, and I just get to go, not how are you feeling, but let me tell you of the good news of what Christ has done. Because your feelings, they're gonna go like this. Your feelings aren't what that's, what's most important in this moment. You need to know the truth of what you have in Christ. And sometimes you're gonna tell that person, to please be quiet. You're not gonna to wanna to hear it, but that pacer isn't gonna take it personally. They're just gonna say, I'm in it for the long haul. I'm sitting with you. You know why? I can show up for you because Jesus showed up for me. That's who we are. That's the body of Christ. That's what we were made to do. And you and I don't have that in ourselves. We need his presence with us. So this morning as we go into communion and around the corners of the room, we take this bread and we take this juice. We do it every week. Would you consider three questions? Is his presence the desire of your heart this morning? If not, what's competing? What do you long for more than? The Holy Spirit likes to point out our idols. I don't even have to bring it up. The second question is, is his presence the delight of this people? Like, is that what we want? Do you pray that for this body of people, not just for yourself? And lastly, is his presence the difference in our lives? Not who you voted for, not what agendas you're for. Is his presence the difference in our lives? Do people look at you and go, I know it's different now. It's his presence, isn't it? Like you're not even that cool. You're not even that put together. Like you get it wrong a lot of times, but it's his presence that's different. That's what it is. You really believe that stuff, don't you? Yeah, I do. As we go to these corners, it's Christ who has made this possible. So if you would say, I believe Jesus has lived, died, and risen from the dead and that he has finished the work. You may go and take this meal, but if you're still kind of, I don't know, I'm not sure I believe any of this stuff. I'm just checking things out. You don't have to go and do any of this. We don't earn anything. We don't gain anything, but we are reminded of everything at this table. Psalm 1611 says, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence, and the pleasures of living with you forever. Father, I ask that somehow this morning we would know your presence in a way, even just a little, that's different. God, there may not be any explosions or light bulb moments, but the truth has been proclaimed that you are a God who wants to be with his people May we just believe that even just a fraction more this morning. And as your people, we say thank you for Jesus for making it all possible. 
you go with us. Emmanuel. It's in your name we pray.